0: This is the Get Book Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 88, and we are recording on Tuesday, July 5th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Happy birthday, America! A day late. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a very
1: aggressive lounging and eating schedule yesterday. I don't know about you.
0: Oh, good! I went out to our friends, uh, mine and Rebecca's mutual friend, uh, Max and Laura own like a farm in the middle of nowhere, like mm. in rural Virginia. So we went out there and shot off fireworks and lounged about. In a like inflatable pool. Oh my goodness, so much <laughs> like, fun! Like small children. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I had a good time. That's excellent. Yeah. I ate a lot of hot dogs. You know.
1: Yeah, like you do, like you do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I came home with um leftover fruit salad that I'm gonna turn into sangria.
0: So like as oh. far as I'm concerned, this is the best July Fourth ever. <laughs> I made two day baked beans in the crock pot, which are amazing it sounds silly because like baked beans are a thing you can get for 99 cents at the grocery store but nah these take two days and they're like black pepper and bacon and bourbon in a crock pot for forever and they're just amazing i'm gonna need that recipe from you i will give it to you it's from how sweet eats it's really good it has sugar in it but it's fine, fine with me <laughs> okay all right Who cares? i don't know i have some people what? Are like what <laughs> that's gross okay anyway so we're reading the same book, or rather, I'm still reading it because you're oh, okay. faster than I will me. say
1: no things then. I, I'm sipping okay, I'm yeah, no, my no. lips.
0: But yes, Bonfire by Kristen Ritter. Shockingly yeah. good, right? Uh, yes, like... I opened it to, so I like sat down to start it over the weekend and then couldn't stop. Like, I, mm-hmm. it's one of those things where you look up an hour later and you're like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> where am I? Also, is someone gonna come kill me now? I know. It made me very anxious. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's, a, it's very uncomfortable making. So, this doesn't come out until November. Um, but so far, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm liking it in like a creepy, putting it in the freezer kind of way. Yes. All right. So... That's what we're reading. If you are new to this show, like I said, this is a podcast for personalized reading recommendations. So whatever you need for uh, reading recommendation wise, if you have like a read-alike that you want, or you need a recommendation for your book club or a gift or whatever, you can send all of those to us. You can email your questions to us at getbookedatbookriot.com or you can just drop it in the form at the bottom of all the show notes on the site. If if your question is time sensitive, please note that in the top of your question, if you're using the form or just in the subject line, if you're using an email so that we can try to answer it on time. We might not answer it on the show. We might just email you a response depending on how our, the agenda is shaping up and whether or not we've already answered your question on the air before, which after 88 episodes, it's very possible that we've answered some variety of your question. Um, and that is that. Jen's going to read our first question, which is like multi-part, which is fun. <laughs> and then I will give us our first sponsor and we will get underway.
1: All right, our first question is from Anonymous. I didn't.
0: Sorry. (laughs) I forgot to put the name.
1: (laughs) It's okay. I think they'll know who they are. Who says... I have been clerking for a federal judge for the past year. My time is quickly coming to an end in early August. Chambers is a tight-knit family of four, and I'd love to give a book to each of my colleagues as a going-away present, and would love your help with that. Uh, so there are three requests here. The judge is an avid golfer. I mean, really avid. Do you have any good recommendations for golf coffee table books, or narrative nonfiction about golf, or really anything golf-related? If that is too niche, she also enjoys legal thrillers a la John Grisham, but I would like to recommend him something in that vein, but perhaps less mainstream. The judicial assistant loves to cook, and she is a healthy eater. I think she would enjoy something that focuses on fresh organic ingredients. She's also from Florida. Do you have any great <laughs> cookbook recommendations? And then the co-clerk loves the outdoors and national parks, is an avid hiker. I'm thinking a memoir where the author goes on a hiking trip or writes about their time exploring nature, etc.
0: Okay. Our first sponsor is The Separatists by Lise Wheel. This is uh, actually kind of appropriate to our first question, so maybe this would be a good gift for any of those people. Uh, But best-selling novelist and national legal and political news analyst, Lise Wheel takes us behind the anchor's desk and into a country being torn apart. So the main character's name is Erica Sparks. She's a reporter. She heads to North Dakota to investigate an organization called Take Back Our Homeland, which is a large secessionist group that is threatening to secede from the union. When Erica discovers a potential informant has been murdered in her Bismarck hotel, she realizes Take Back Our Homeland might be even more dangerous than she thought, She unwittingly becomes one of the key players in the story that she's simply just trying to report. So her fear and anxiety, of course, escalate for her family and for her own safety. The story has, as I'm sure all of you can tell, very uncanny parallels to some recent news headlines and the charged atmosphere of our current political climate. Uh, Lise really spurs readers to consider the effects of the worst-case scenario. What if this political climate continues and spirals out of control? Uh, What will happen, and what will the country look like at that point? And also, The Separatist gives an exciting behind-the-scenes scenario of TV news life, on which Lise is, of course, an expert. So go check that out. That's The Separatist by Lise Wheel.
1: Okay. Should we take this in order of the...
0: Of the questions? Yeah, sure. Okay. Okay.
1: So I'll go first, because I took the judge, who is an avid golfer, and I have to say I am pretty proud of this recommendation, (laughs) because this is not the easiest question. But what I found for you is a collection of mystery stories called Murder in the Rough, original tales of bad shots, terrible lies, and other deadly handicaps from today's great writers. And what it is, is a sports mystery collection edited by Otto Penzler, who has edited... Um, probably actual bajillion mystery collections, and also owns a bookstore. Yes, he owns the mysterious bookshop, if I remember correctly, uh, in New York City. So he's pretty much a mystery expert, and this is a collection entirely about mysteries that take place on golf courses or That's in relationship amazing. to golf courses. Everything exists. That everything you can everything imagine.
0: Exists. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what a world we live in. <laughs> Um, And they're all original short stories that, as it says, mix murder and mystery on the fairway. So I feel like this is a book that your judge obviously needs to have on their shelf. So that is Murder in the Rough, a collection of golfing mystery stories uh, edited by Otto Penzler.
0: Okay, I took the judicial assistant, the one who loves to cook, and my recommendation for her is Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat by Samin Nostrat, and this is, I think, a fairly new cookbook. Yeah, it just came out this year in April, um, and it's, well, it's partially cookbook and partially not, so I think this is a really good pick for anybody who is already pretty familiar with how to work a kitchen and how to read a recipe. The first half of the book is kind of a, a Michael pollan sort of um, look at the four elements of what Nosrat considers to be excellent cooking, which are, of course, salt, fat, acid, and heat. And how, if you consider how you adjust those four elements in any any recipe or any combination of foods, you will get an entirely different eating experience. And then the second half of the book is recipes based on that concept. Um, So the first part, I think, is the most interesting, and it's also the most helpful because it offers a lot of information, like very food lab sort of science behind why cooking certain ways is beneficial. Um, so it offers a lot of information about like common mistakes that people make in the kitchen even if they are already pretty good cooks and even if you already know how to like navigate your way through a recipe like why you can't get your meat to brown properly or why you are under salting stuff even if you feel like you're, you have a heavy hand with the, the salt shaker. Um, so it'll, it will like makes kind of, not minute, but little adjustments to pe- to your cooking techniques. Um, if you're already kind of intermediate level, it's still really, really useful information. So that's Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat by Samin Nosrat.
1: I've been hearing good things about that book. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I, I'm, not, I'm not a good cook. I'm a good baker, <laughs> but not a good cook, so I probably should get that. Nothing ever turns out right. Okay, so for the co-clerk who loves the outdoors in national parks, I could not not recommend The Hour of the Land by Terry Tempest Williams, which is a beautiful book written by a beautiful human. Uh, Terry Tempest Williams has written a ton of great books, including staff favorite When Women Were Birds, which is a memoir. Um, But this book is sort of like a giant, beautiful, photography-inclusive celebration of national parks. So she is doing these little sort of mini essays about each national park that she has been to that's about, you know, how we relate to nature and how we're in nature and how the park came to be and what it's like in the park and, you know, how we as America value or do not value our national parks. Um, and it's it's just really all about why the national parks are so important uh, in her view. And she's a beautiful writer. The book is gorgeous. Like, this is a book that everybody who loves the outdoors should have on their shelves. So that's The Hour of the Land, a personal touch of America's National Parks by
0: Terry Tempest Williams. Okay, question two is from Ashley, who says, I'm traveling to D.C. for work at the end of July and would like some D.C.-related reads. These can be fiction or nonfiction, but something historical would be nice. Okay, I didn't know if by historical you meant like historical fiction or something that was history, so I went with the history thing. (laughs) Um, I picked The Residence Inside the Private World of the White House by Kate Anderson Brower, and this is a look at the White House and how to keep it running um, and what it looks like from the point of view of the service staff. So the people who are behind the scenes running the life, basically, of America's first families. So it's everything from their maids, butlers, florists, doormen, people who watch the children when they're young, um, engineers, the cleaning staff, all of those people. And Kate Anderson Brower um, interviews some still-living um, people who have worked behind the scenes in the White House, and she's covering their experiences from the Kennedys to the Obamas. So there's obviously a lot of difference between how those families operated in their day to day lives in the in the White House, um, and all of them had like really interesting individual quirks and preferences, and, and um, so all of that's really fascinating. Kind of like the what El. BJ wanted in his shower at all times, you know, like the kind of soap that he used and like (gasps) that sort of small daily life stuff is really interesting. But what's I think even more interesting is how big political crises affected these people. Like, what do you do when the person you're serving is being impeached, you know, Mm -hmm. or like, how do you, how is the staff, how does their daily life change when like a sex scandal breaks out and they have to go into the bedroom of this person who's obviously not doing well with his wife right now, you know, and like that sort of big giant international incidents that, that affected these very small daily, um, daily stuff that people have to do in their jobs. And just like dealing with their boss is nothing like how we have to deal with our bosses. Even if we work in the service industry, it's still a little different. So um, it's a great historical look at um, a very specific slice of DC life. So that's The Residence Inside the Private World of the White House by Kate Anderson Brower. Nice.
1: Yeah, I tried really hard to find a historical novel about Washington, D.C., and I just I couldn't find one that looked good. But what I did find is American Wife by Curtis Sittenfeld, which I am, I want to say, a third of the way through and I'm really enjoying. So this is a novel that... I went double, I double checked this because I had no idea when I started reading it. And then I was like, I should read some reviews of this. And so Sittenfeld read a biography of Laura Bush and decided to like, and it inspired her to write a novel about uh, the wife of a man who becomes the president. Um, so it starts with this, her main character, Alice, who grows up in Wisconsin and is like a, you know, quiet bookish kid born in the 1940s who has like a pretty normal life you know, marred by some tragedies. Um, and and when she's in her 30s and is, is she 31? I think she's 31 when she meets this guy. She's a librarian at an elementary school and she meets this guy and he's a Republican and she's a Democrat, but they fall for each other and she marries him. And you know at the start of the novel that eventually he's going to become president and that this is not Gonna turn out great for her because Mm -hmm. the opening of the novel is like her in you know the as the the first lady lying in bed being like have I ruined everything like Mm -hmm. is everything the worst and but how you get there Curtis Sitinfeld takes like a really slow it's a slow burn of a book like it's real sort of those tiny mundane details that add up to build a life but I'm really sucked in like I cannot stop reading Um, and a lot of the first. Part of the book takes place not in DC, but obviously you're eventually going to get there because this guy becomes president. So it's not like 100% historical; it's much more contemporary than that. But it's a really interesting look at like what it's like to be the wife of a person running for office, and when you don't, when your perhaps political views don't necessarily line up with them, like what does it do to you? How do you change? Like how do you? What do you tell yourself? How do you deal with it? Uh, so yes, and she has said like she's gone on the record in interviews that She's not trying to write specifically about Laura Bush. It was just sort of inspired by this biography that she read of Laura Bush. So anyway, I think that might be an interesting one for you to read. I'm certainly enjoying it. So that's The Amer or excuse me, American Wife by Curtis Sittenfeld. And the next question is from Leslie, who says, I recently discovered the Outlander series by Diana Gabaldon a little over a year ago and just finished reading the eighth book at the end of August. That would be last August. Sorry. Mm. Uh, Ever since I opened that first book, I've become obsessed with anything and everything related to Scotland. Since it will be three to four more years before the next book comes out, I would like to read more books set in Scotland to make the waiting easier. I'm not a huge reader of nonfiction, but would love to try recommendations for fiction and nonfiction on this topic. I have read At the Water's Edge by Sarah Gruen, and I really enjoyed it. Okay, Uh, Amanda, what you got?
0: Okay, I just went full (laughs) on, like, you like Outlander, you're probably going to like this. So I picked A Scot in the Dark by Sarah McLean, which is the second book in her Scandal and Scoundrel series, but you don't need to have read the first to know what's going on. At all. Um, uh, I didn't. I read them out of order. Notorious romance, out of order reader. So in this particular romance novel, the main character's name is Lillian, and she has been the, what do you call it, ward? Like the the ward she's being taken care of or whatever by the duke of warnick um for years like since she was a child except in the duke of warnick keeps changing because they keep like having terrible accidents and dying not for any nefarious reason but just because that's what's happening um so she goes through like nine dukes of warnick who are her wards and by the time this new one comes on the scene she has been essentially forgotten about by pretty much every member of the estate and is living sort of by herself in London, um, in one of the estates, like, you know, townhouses. Um, So an artist comes along and, like, seduces her and makes her fall in love and gets her to to pose naked for a portrait that he then threatens to reveal to, like, the entire world, basically. Um, And so she has no choice but to just, like, face her ruin. So she's considering whether she wants to run um like a way to America or something, or like how she's gonna handle this scandal. Meanwhile the Duke of Warnick the new Duke of Warnick, who was like was like 28th or something bonkers in line for this seat of aristocracy and does not want it. He's uh, Scottish. He dislikes intensely everything having to do with England. He doesn't like the aristocracy. He doesn't particularly like English women because they don't like him. He's got some um, like body image issues. He's very large. And so when he goes into town, English women tend to like make really inappropriate comments about him. Um and then he discovers via his lawyer that he his ward, that he has a ward, first of all, and second of all that his ward is like a grown woman, and third of all that she's gotten herself into this big trouble. So he goes to uh down to England despite hating it um to kind of save her, basically, which she turns out to not appreciate or want. So they don't get along very well at first, but it's a romance novel. I'm sure you can imagine what happens, but like it takes place. I think the bulk of the book takes place in London, but the beginning and the ends are in Scotland and his, uh, the Duke's, um, castle, I guess essentially in Scotland is like very, you know, craggy and dark and there's rain a lot and that sort of thing. Um, but I just love it. If you are, if you can stomach listening to superman's on audio, I would recommend it because the, the, the um, narrator does a really great accent for Warnick. Um, Some people can't do romance on audio because it gets very like, oh, I'm in the grocery store listening to this thing happen and like, oh, (laughs) hey. Um, But anyway, I liked it. So that's A Scott in the Dark by Sarah McLean.
1: Yeah, it was really tempting to just load you up with Scottish (laughs) hero (laughs) romances. but, But you did say you wanted nonfiction. And as I was sort of spelunking around looking at the options... I found this book that, like, made my brain drool. It's called Scotland, the Autobiography, 2,000 Years of Scottish History by S- Those Who Saw It Happening. Uh, the editor is Rosemary Goring. And what this is is a giant collection of historical documents and first-person source material by of, like, Scottish citizens so that it just gives you this, like, huge sweeping sort of first person historical look. At 2,000 Years of Scotland, like, I can't... I'm sitting here, like, freaking out yeah. about how badly <laughs> I'm to read this. Like, it's got stuff from Tacitus and Mary Queen of Scots and Oliver Cromwell and Billy Connolly and, like, all of these people, um, including, like, you know, factory workers and survivors of the Battle of Culloden and, oh, I can't even... Like, I need to get this book so soon. I have... I put in a request from the library. Uh, it's just... Like what could be cooler than reading all of these first-person accounts of different moments from Scotland's history? Like that, it just sounds. yes, yeah, obviously, I'm really mm-hmm. super excited that I found this thing that exists. So I would recommend that you pick that up because it sounds amazing. And what better way to learn about history? I love it when you can read like somebody's diary entry from a time period that's just so different from your own. Uh, and it would be a fun. There's obviously moments in here that are referenced in the Gaveldin books, so you could even like cherry pick and go look for the parts that you know claire was sort of around for so that is scotland the autobiography uh, by rosemary Goring.
0: all right question four is from janine who says i would love a recommendation for a fiction book set somewhere in 20th century latin america a book with a great story but also some historical or geographical tidbits i usually read fantasy or mystery but i'm excuse me up for any genre Okay, I went with a mystery set in the 50s in Argentina. It's called Death Going Down by Maria Angelica Bosco, and it's translated by Lucy Greaves. This was pitched to me um, as the Argentinian, or this author was pitched to me as the Argentinian Agatha Christie, which I think I've mentioned on the show before. Um, and it does have that that a very Christie-ish sort of feeling. So when the book opens, um, you're in uh, an apartment building, like a small one there are only i think six apartments in the building um and one of the people who lives there discovers a body in the elevator and the body is of a beautiful blonde woman um who nobody recognizes or admits to recognizing um and it she's been poisoned or has ingested poison somehow so the cops come and have to determine if it's suicide or murder and if so why either of those things um of course, all of the people who live in the building have their own secrets and connections to the woman that they don't admit at first. That you kind of suss out as the book goes along. Um, it's a very closed room, kind of in the in that Agatha Christie vein of like a giant English manor house, except in an Argentinian apartment building. Um, and a lot of the characters on the page have come to Argentina in the fifties, like fleeing the. Just complete destruction of wherever they lived in Europe after World War II. So there is a lot of historical connection um, and discussion of the war and stuff like that in the book. So, and it was written in like, I think the 60s, the 50s, or the 60s, uh, 1966. Um, so it's it's got a lot of that flavor. So that's Death Going Down by Maria Angelica Bosco.
1: I think somehow missed the part where you specified 20th century, I got stuck on, like, Latin America, historical geographical tidbits. Um, so the book I picked for you, which I still think you should read, takes place in late 19th century. So it's, like, very cl- It's 1889, which is super close to the 20th century, but not actually. Whoops, sorry. Okay, anyway, the book I think you should read is The Hummingbird's Daughter by Luis Alberto Urea, who I have heard him read from this book not once, but twice, and I love listening to him read, and it's a novel, but it's actually based on his mm, great aunt. It's, it's a family member inspired this book, so it is about a young woman who is 16 in 1889, right before the Civil War is happening in Mexico, uh, whose name is Teresita. She's illegitimate, but she's been raised as the beloved daughter of a very powerful rancher, and she has this dream that she's died, except... It wasn't a dream, um, and she finds herself with some powers. Uh, but then everything, obviously, gets very complicated. Um, there are, you know, family upheavals and geographic upheavals and political upheavals. Um, but she becomes known as the Saint of Kaborah, and the book is is like this, you know, very like satisfyingly chunky family and personal drama about this woman, Teresita, and how she goes from being just like your average 16-year-old to becoming known as a saint. So I, I feel like, you know, there's lots to like here. It sounds like it's the kind of thing that you're looking for just like slightly prior to your to your <laughs> specified century. Uh, so again, that is The Hummingbird's Daughter by Luis Alberto Urrea. And it is time for our next sponsor, which is Libby, which I use literally every day. So <laughs> I am very happy to tell you about it. Libby is an app built for you to get ebooks and audiobooks from your library. It is the new app from Overdrive. They have an older one, which I also used. But Libby was meant to simplify the process because sometimes this can be like it can be hard to set up. But Libby is designed to like get you like one tap away from getting the books from your library as quickly and seamlessly as possible. Uh, It's got a very nice interface, very clean, and that was inspired by user and librarian feedback that OverDrive has been collecting. And it's still, is it still in beta? I don't know. It's generally available. It's like in the app store, or you can go to meet.libbyapp.com. But they've also been very responsive, I know, from talking to other people about, you know, feedback from users about how it's working and what's tricky, it has a couple of great features, including you can tag books as you're looking at them and build yourself little shelves almost like on Goodreads. So like I have a little, you know, shelf of things I want to get for when I have a minute to read something for fun, which you know, when does that ever happen? Yeah. <laughs> but every now and then I get a minute. Um, and yeah, it's great. It's basically, you know, one tap to borrow, one tap to read, and one tap to return ebooks and audiobooks from your library. So you should check it out at meet.libbyapp.com or go to to pretty much any app store and search for Libby. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. Okay, this next question is from Jennifer, and it was a tricky one. <laughs> it says, my favorite books have been have all been about women in academia and the world, specifically in the earlier 20th century. I've read the group, but maybe I'm looking for a sort of female version of a separate piece or Dead Poets Society, if you kind of understand what I mean. Sort of like book versions of the Julia Roberts movie, Mona Lisa's
0: Smile. I had a hard time with this one. Um, <laughs> you go first, Amanda. Okay, <clears throat> um, I picked a kind of classic of this very specific kind of subgenre, I guess, and it was it's the Prime of Miss Jean Brodie by Muriel Spark. Um, and so this book was written in 1961, but I think it takes place in like the 20s or 30s. And it is about a teacher named Miss Jean Brodie who takes a group of six of her students. Under her wing, and like meets with them outside of school, and just you know, like in a very Dead Poet Society sort of way, becomes their like mentor or whatever. Um, except, unlike Mona Lisa Smile, and maybe unlike Dead Poet Society, depending on how you interpret that movie, it's not necessarily a positive relationship. Like her uh, influence over the girls is not academic; uh, it, it's it's very personal. So she's trying to like mold them into the kind of people she wants them to be in order to affirm her own life choices. Like, she talks a lot to them about her romantic escapades and her political opinions, which for being a surprisingly liberal teacher, she's actually mostly a fascist uh, politically. And so she talks a lot about that, which in, you know, the 20s and 30s is like, sketchy. Um, and so she continues her influence over these girls for um, a long time until one of them ultimately betrays her, which you... Discover pretty early on in the book, and most of your reading is trying to figure out like who, it, which one of them it was, and why, and, um, and why. Because um, due to her very unorthodox sort of teaching methods, Brody is like at war with her school essentially from the beginning. Like they're trying to find a reason to get her fired and whatnot, what have you. And so one of the girls helps make that happen. Um, so it's not a, a, a like positive teacher academic story in in the vein of Mona Lisa Smile, but it does have that. Um, one unorthodox, unconventional, kind of free-thinking sort of teacher taking some um, easily-influenced students under her wing um, kind of thing happening. And it's very short, so it's a little novella about that concept. So that's The Prime of Miss Jane Brody by Muriel Spark.
1: Yeah, I fell down this rabbit hole of – I've definitely read books about women in academia, but I fell down this rabbit hole of trying to come up with a group of women – in mm-hmm. academia. And I just... It was really hard to find anything that... Because I, I know exactly what you mean when you say, like, separate piece or depot Poet Society mm-hmm. or, or Mona Lisa Smile. Um, so... So so what I went for was the feel of the book because I couldn't come up with like the letter of your request. And what I came up with is a little off-center, but I still think it's worth reading. It's Roses and Rot by Cat Howard. And it was the only book I could think of that had a bunch of women specifically, like not a mixed group of students, but a bunch of women in an academic setting. Except in this one, there are also elves. Yeah. Uh, so,
0: <laughs> an academic setting with fairies. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so this is about uh, two sisters named Imogen and Marin, who ha- grew up with a very difficult, abusive mother. And now they're grown up and they're both artists. Uh, and Im- Imogen is a writer and Marin is a dancer. And they've both applied for and won a fellowship. To this, like postgraduate arts colony uh, that has an amazing reputation. Like, if you get in, basically, it seems like you know it's possible that this will make your career. So, and this is the first time that Imogen and Marin have seen each other in a long time. So they move into this house together. Well, they move into this artist colony. There's you know roommates who are also female um, in the house, and they start their fellowship, and things quickly become. Weird because things are not as they seem because the fairy, like the fae Court, is running this artist colony, mm. so they can like feed off of artists' creative energy. And there's a terrible bargain, and and you know who's gonna make the bargain and what's gonna happen. And it's very, um, it's sort of adventurous in that regard. But I, I was like thinking about, I was like, well, it's almost like the secret history in a way. Like you know, something terrible is gonna happen, and it's related to academics, but it's all women. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I got very like turned around in my head about this question. Okay. But I think you'll like the book. It's worth a shot. So that's Roses and Rot by Cat Howard. Also, if like listening, if you're listening, I would really like to hear other suggestions along these lines so that I can read them.
0: What is that book? Now that now I've been like sitting here noodling, yeah. it's it's by Nell Zink. And it takes place mostly in that college, like somewhere in southeastern Virginia, outside of Richmond. Oh,
1: it's not Wall Creeper, is it?
0: No, it's the other one. The yeah. other one. I that still girl, haven't read her, but I know what oh. you're talking about. Or like she does the reverse race, that like she passes as, she's white, but she tries to pass as black or something like that. Oh,
1: really? Wait, maybe I don't know about this book.
0: Yeah, which I was like, Ugh. ooh. But then Roxanne Gay yeah. really liked it, so I felt okay about it. <laughs> 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 anyway, readers, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it, I can't remember the title of it right now, but Nell Zink has a book that. Like the first half takes place in a women's college in the fifties. Mm. Um, I will the South, so. google
1: that and we'll put it in the show notes.
0: Yeah, I can't remember. Um, okay, question six uh, is from Amanda, who says, "I'm looking for a book, uh, looking for book recommendations for someone dealing with infertility." Well, I was struggling to get pregnant, and then while I was in fertility treatments, I had a hard time finding books that made me feel less alone and broken. After a long process, I finally have my beautiful boy, but I still want to know what kind of work out there that could maybe be a comfort for someone who's going through a similar situation. When I was interested, or when I was looking, I was interested in fiction, nonfiction, or poetry. They don't necessarily have to feature characters with fertility issues, but I'm looking for books that could be a comfort and let you know that you aren't alone in this. Okay. I went with The Art of Waiting on Fertility, Medicine, and Motherhood by Belle Boggs, which is um, from Grey Wolf, Grey Wolf Press, which is probably like my favorite publisher. I love them so much. Um, and so this is a collection of essays by Belle Boggs, who was a novelist and short story writer about her experience with infertility. It took her several years to have her child. She has a daughter now, um, and she went through a variety of infertility treatments with her husband uh, throughout that time period. So it's about her personal experience, but she's also talking about the concepts of fertility, fertility treatments in general, and motherhood, and how we treat women who are Uh, dealing with infertility um, as like a society. So she's looks at it's like some of the essays are really funny. Some of them are very heartbreaking. Like she has a whole essay about um, the Coen brothers movie, Raising Arizona, which I don't know if you have seen, but it's about like a couple and Nicholas Cage (laughs) plays the husband. And like the wife is a cop and she can't have a baby and all she wants is a baby. So like he goes out and kidnaps a Was it, like a sextuplet? (laughs) Because, you know, his logic is they won't miss it. Anyway, um, so it's a hilarious movie, and so she looks at uh, her infertility through that uh, lens. Um, She also discusses a lot of depictions of childlessness in books, like in Macbeth, and there's a whole essay on Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Um, But in, like, the real life way or like the real life complications of infertility, she talks a lot about adoption and people who choose to do that domestically and internationally when they realize that their infertility treatments are going to work. Um, And she does, which I really appreciate, she does talk about the particular struggles that LGBTQ parents who are trying to have children face and also the socioeconomic obstacles that people who are poor and especially people of color face when they Are experiencing infertility. So, um, and of course, there's a lot in here about how it's like this silent, not like this silent condition that women who are infertile have because they feel so weird talking about it. And like when you are going through that, how suddenly everything around you is like everyone is pregnant and you get invited to all these baby showers and like that particular. Oh, like phenomenon of when you want a thing and you can't have it, everyone around you seems to have it. So like every aspect of infertility is examined in this collection. So that's The Art of Waiting by Boggs.
1: I have recommended my pick before, and I'll recommend it again because it's so good. It's Instant Mom by Nia Vardalos, who decided uh, at a certain point in her career that she really... I mean, she'd always wanted to be a mom, but after uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding like, became a thing, she was like, okay, I am going to... Now is the time to start our family. And she went through 11, if I remember correctly, rounds of like inf- of fertility treatments and you know attempts to... Conceive, uh, you know, medically, and it none of it was working. Um, so she did ultimately end up deciding to foster to adopt, and went through uh, the state of California to, and and eventually did get matched up and and have a daughter now. Uh, but she she spends a decent chunk of the first half of the book talking about this exact thing about you know going through fertility treatments and the things that people say to you and. The ways that people treat you and how awful physically it can be, like, you know, the hormones and the injections and, you know, your depression about it that often happens. And it just, she really goes into it. But because she's Neo Vardalos, who wrote and started My Big Fat Greek Wedding. She's also hilarious. So there's it's a really serious topic, and she's not making light of it, but she is finding the humor as she goes through the book. So it's like this wonderful, like you feel like you're hanging out with like the best possible friend that you could talk to about this, and she's telling you her crazy stories, and you're just like laughing while you're also crying about it. Like it's very, it really gets to the heart of how, hard that process can be but also is like making you feel better about it because she's just so frank and so funny and so real about what she went through, um, and and you know obviously not everybody who goes through fertility treatments end up deciding to adopt, so that might not be relevant to what you're looking for. But it is a really interesting look also at how fostering to adoption works um, and what the challenges of that were because there were many challenges, uh, and and you know being a new mom and like doing all of the new mom things. even though it's not the way that she had originally thought it would be. So I just, I love this book. Uh, So that's Instant Mom by Nia Vardalos. And our next question is from Krista, who says, I've recently been going through my contemporary YA fiction phase. I love Jandy Nelson and Melina Marchetta. I'm looking for another story with characters that will blow my mind. I want to feel like my life just changed when I'm done reading it. Can you help? Yes. We
0: can. (laughs) Amanda, you go first. Okay. I picked The Serpent King by Jeff Zentner, which is just so lovely. I just love this book. It's about three um, outcast sort of best friends. So, So I'm like interrupting myself. But this book made me feel like the perks of being a wallflower, if the perks of being a wallflower had been set in like rural Tennessee, Ooh. like the middle of nowhere. Um, so the main character's name is Dill and he's your POV character. He is the son of a fallen Pentecostal minister who's gone to prison for something that Pentecostal ministers go to prison for. It was like <laughs> like extortion or money laundering Fraud, or, yeah. or, or like pedophilia, like something, you know, but whatever. Um And his church was like a snake-handling church, like very, very Pentecostal. So his dad has been in jail for a while, and him and his mom are struggling to make ends meet. Um, He's a very talented musician um, who is also low-key in love with his best friend, Lydia. Lydia is also an outcast, but for kind of a different reason. She's a really uber-famous-on-the-internet fashion blogger, um, which in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, is like... And she's one of those rare YA characters who has, like, very loving and present parents, which was nice to read about. Um, and then their third friend to make up this trifecta of outcasts, his name is Travis. He's a total high-fantasy geek. Like, he walks around with a staff like he's Gandalf. Like, Which, again, in rural Tennessee is maybe not, like, the best way to ingratiate yourself with the rest of the, the teen culture. So the three of them have their... Um, they're starting their senior year and Dill wants to get out. Like he wants to get out of this town and they, I mean, they all want to get out, but Dill really doesn't feel like he's got any options. Um, he, they don't have any money. He can't go to college. Um, And he doesn't feel, like, brave enough to share his musical talent with the world. Lydia is going off to school in the fall, like, off to the East Coast and, like, basically fleeing. Um, So it's just about their summer. Like, these three friends and their summer. Something terrible happens in the middle of the book that I'm not going to tell you because it's such a spoiler. But I will tell you that, like, I know this author, and he told me that he gets the, like, saddest mail about this tragedy that happens in the middle of this book. People were just like, how dare you? So gird your loins but you will feel at the end after you read this like there's just something like i was saying about perks of being wallflower there's just something so infinite feeling about reading about three outcast kids having a summer together and like they are each other's family so it's just excellent and heartwarming and very sad and moving and i love it so that's the serpent king by jeff sentner i have feelings just listening to you talk about (laughs) that i know it's so good like it's just and he wrote it the dude wrote it on his iPhone, like, riding the bus to work every day, and I just, I hate you. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you, sir? Who do you think you are? What gives you the right? <laughs> <laughs> to be so excellent. To
1: be so talented. Shh. Oy. Pish. Well, I feel similarly about Sarah Farazan, who's <laughs> <as> I'm recommending <laughs> next, so. How can you? Um, um, if Although you mentioned The Perks of Being a Wallflower, and Krista, if you haven't read that yet, Add that to your stack as well. Uh, But that's not what I'm recommending. I'm recommending If You Could Be Mine by Sarah Farazan, which is, oh, this book gave me so many feelings. Uh, It is about a 17-year-old named Sahar who lives in Iran and has been in love with her best friend, Nazrin, since they were little. Uh, They have, like, kissed and have, you know, had romantic discussions. But obviously, in Iran, you can't be openly lesbian, so their relationship is a secret, and then Nazrin's parents announce that they have found someone for her to marry, she's going to have this arranged marriage, This very, like, actually quite nice, well-off doctor who seems, you know, legit. Um, And Nazarene is like, well, it's fine. Like, we'll just keep having our secret relationship and now I'll have my own house and, you know, I'll be married and and it'll be fine. Like, it'll be easier maybe even. Um, But Sahar is like, no, I want... Us to be together. Uh, and in Iran, while you can't be homosexual, they do have a sex reassignment or sex confirmation surgery, like legally and accessibly. So Sahar is like, well, what if this is the solution? And this is complicated because she's not a transgender person. She identifies as female, but she's so desperate that she's looking in any direction she can for a perceived solution. So she starts going to these meetings to see like if this is something that she can pull off. Um, And the book, you know, sort of proceeds from there. I don't want to spoil anything. Um, But it's a really complicated and, like, tricky look at what it is like to be queer in a society where it is literally illegal. And the person that you're in love with is not in the same place as you are in terms of, like, how they want to deal with it. Um, And it just, there's a lot of feelings, a lot of complicated intent. Feelings in this book, and Sarah Farizan, who wrote it, is is Iranian American, and so she's she's like really digging in there. Um, and I think this should definitely be added to your stack. So that's if you could be mine by Sarah Farizan.
0: Okay, question eight. I also, man, the week before vacation, y'all. I apparently did not write down the name of this person either. And again, I am very sorry. I will try to find it and put it in the show notes. So this person, whoever this is, says, I try very hard to read a number of books with diverse characters and authors, but I realized somewhere along the way I completely forgot to read books that represented my own culture and heritage. I'm a Cuban-American, and I realized I haven't once come across a novel where the main character is Cuban. I've read a good amount of books and authors of other Hispanic origins, but not my own. The only things I've read have been two nonfiction books Before Night Falls by Rinaldo Arenas and a biography of Che Guevara. Do you have any recommendations? I'd really like some fiction to read, but if you know of any good nonfiction, I'd be happy to know of this as well. Okay. Um, I picked Planet for Rent by Yos, which is like, he, I don't know if he's the only, certainly probably not, but... um, the most well-known science fiction writer out of Cuba. And the only one that I have personally heard of, which means nothing. There could be 50, but this is the <laughs> most well-known. Uh, he's the most well-known. And I really, like, I encourage you to go look at his author photo because it's just a work of beauty. He's like, he looks like this, he looks like a metal hairband lead singer. Like, yeah, I love it's, it. true. It's, it's, it's true. It's so true. It's so great. Um, So A Planet for Rent is is just so great. I love it so much. It is like old, very old school feeling kind of science fiction. It reminds me a lot of Isaac Asimov. And it's a series of kind of linked short stories where every character you find out is like related to every other character. Um, and in this universe, Earth is a third world, basically. Like, literally, (laughs) third world um, planet. And it has been taken over by alien colonizers who have remade it as a tourist destination. Um, It's overseen by a really dictatorial, interstellar tourism bureaucracy. And humans are considered lesser, uh, not as sophisticated, not as smart, not as talented um, as other alien species. And so they either have to suffer... Stay on Earth, suffer living in this colony. What is turned into a colony, essentially, or they flee and they go um, eke out livings as like black market runners or prostitutes. Or a lot of them um, become famous, oddly enough, in other on other planets because they're really good at sports or they're great artists or they're excellent singers. And I'm sure that you are noticing right now that all of this is just a big metaphor for how we treat Cuba. So there that is. Um, and so it like is just kind of low key about how the west treats Cuba. and has treated Cuba since the fall of the Soviet Soviet Union. Um, it's rather recent. It was written in 2011 but just translated a couple of years ago. Um, but it's super fun oddly like it's <laughs> a asimov, you know, like weird alien species and like people going on adventures but is also once you get to realizing like what it's actually about you're like oh. <laughs> womp womp. No. I am sad about how america does things um but you know i feel like that all the time so it's not really new yeah i was gonna say story of our lives like just come on sit by me yos come sit by me so anyway that's a planet for rent by yos it's translated by david fry and it is available on audio and it's a pretty good uh production so yeah
1: I have a short story collection for you by an author who has also written other things. So there's more if you like it. It's Oye What I'm Gonna Tell You by Cecilia Rodriguez Milanes who I have heard read and she's wonderful. She's so good. Uh, This is a short story collection, like I said, um, about, it's entirely 100% about Cuban Americans uh, from World War II era Havana to contemporary times in in North America. Um, And And it is so good and it's such a range like there's characters who are in you know blue collar neighborhood in like jersey city or in you know latino south or florida or wherever and maybe some of them are the children and grandchildren of exiles and some of them are closer than that to their culture and all of them are sort of struggling to figure out like you know, what parts do you keep and what parts do you let go and how do you deal with older generations and what they want you to do? And it's funny and it's a little dark. And like some of the stories made me feel like I was going to cry. And some of them, like there's this one really intensely awkward, I think it was Thanksgiving dinner, where a, the girl brings home a black boyfriend and, like, the family dynamics that ensue. And just, like, a bunch of stories like that, like, that are, you know, some of them are painfully awkward, some of them are really funny, um, some of them are, they're just, they're, she's just got such a range. Uh, and, and all of the characters have very distinct voices, which I really appreciated. It's just, it's great. It's just great. So that's Oye What I'm Gonna Tell You by Cecilia Rodriguez Milanes.
0: And that's our show. All right. Huzzah. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, not iTunes, because that's another thing. It's Apple Podcasts. And thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm mostly on Instagram these days at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen, where are you? Oh, yes. You can find me on Tumblr, .tumblr jenirl.tumblr.com.
1: That's Jen with two N's.
0: And we will talk to you all next
1: week.